you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 6. Church picnic on the 20th. That is next weekend, right? It's after, after church. Sorry about that. Yeah, we, we had already, it's written down somewhere. So if everybody makes deviled eggs and nobody brings anything else, it'll be still a wonderful picnic. So, so thank you, Miranda, for that. We see in John chapter 6 that uh, the disciples are very tired. They have been serving in a fury pace, and uh, it was Jesus' will that they, that they go away into a desert place. But what you see is that you have scads of people who have seen Jesus' miracles and are following him. And he teaches them, a group of thousands and thousands of people, are on the hillside, and Jesus teaches them all day. And at the end of the day, everyone is away from home. They're far away from anywhere, and Jesus has compassion on them and feeds them miraculously. An enormous amount of food is required to feed everybody, and every single person had as much as they wanted. What we see is that Jesus is teaching these disciples This has been about one year since the disciples have been with Jesus. And there's only three years in Jesus' school that they are going to be with him. And he is testing them. He wants them to see not they he doesn't want them to see another miracle among many miracles because these people see miracles every single day. What he's wanting is for them to know that he can do anything. It's not the things that Jesus can do. But that anything that Jesus can do and whatever that he calls you to do, you are capable of doing it if Jesus is doing it. He's always going to put us in situations where it's over our head, completely impossible. What it is to live the Christian life is not what it is to, to live any other type of life. It's not being good at your job. It's not being a nice person. It's not trying your best. It, it has to be Jesus doing something because Everything we're called to do is beyond us. So it's very important that Jesus teach these disciples. But he's also having compassion on the many. So the multitudes watch him. They watch him uh, take one boy's lunch and distribute it among 15,000, 20,000 people. And they're amazed, just like anybody would be amazed. He simply just keeps giving and it just keeps going. And that lunch just keeps stretching and stretching until everyone had all that they wanted. Now the crowd, this is, the, this is from the previous passage we looked at last week. This is from uh, verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, the prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. You'd be, that's a little surprising because he is the prophet that was to come. He is the prophet that God promised Moses would come, that you must listen to him, just like that, he, that you were to listen to, to Moses. This is, was like that, the prophet that has to be listened to. So in some ways, Jesus, instead of saying, yeah, you're right, I'm him. You're right, absolutely, perfect job. 
You saw me, you saw me do a miracle, and it took you right to the right idea and that I am the Messiah. But in some ways, you think that Jesus totally just leaves. He, he just goes somewhere else. He goes by himself alone. And you're going to see that he prays all through the night. He puts his disciples on a ship and sends them to Capernaum. Now, if you remember the geography we looked at, Capernaum and Bethsaida are up on the very top of the clock on the lake. And on the west coast of the lake, there really isn't very much. And they are on the west coast. It's like they're at 9 o'clock on the clock. And there's nothing but hillside there. And this is where, this is where the feeding was. Well, there was one boat. And the disciples got into the boat and they heard where they were going. Jesus said, you're going to go to Capernaum. And they had to get in the boat. They didn't want to get in the boat. And Jesus makes them. Then he goes up into the mountain by himself. He sends away the crowds and goes up by himself. And during the night he prays, and a, and a fierce storm comes out on the lake. And they're rowing against the waves. The wind is blowing towards them, and they're trying to blow, go across the, the water, and they're, they're, they're hampered. And 3 o'clock in the morning, they look up, and Jesus is walking on the water of the lake to them. And they're afraid. They're, they're, they think he is a... They think he's a ghost. So you've got two sets of people that is encountering Jesus here. You've got the multitudes that some of them have the right idea, but they're missing the purpose of Jesus' coming. You have the disciples who missed it also. The disciples had no idea what was going on. You're going to see that they, uh, they are just as lost. Look at Mark 6. This is really important. This is actually more important that you understand Mark 6 to know what happened last week and how it's coming into this week's message. So this is kind of a key verse. This is verse six, uh, 51 and 2 of Mark 6. He went up into the ship. Now, remember, he's walking on the lake, and they're screaming. They think he's a ghost. And he's walking on the lake, and he comes right up to the boat. Okay, And he gets into the ship, and the winds ceased, and they were sore amazed beyond themselves for measure and wandered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Okay, These people that Jesus is teaching, he teaches them with this miracle, and he's meeting needs. It's not a show. It wasn't a miracle to perform. It wasn't a performance. He simply was meeting the needs with the resources that they had at hand, which was one child's lunch. That's all that he had, and that's all that he needed. God is not, is not limited by our lack of resources. And so he uses it amazing in such a way that many of the, these people recognize that Jesus was something very special. Even to be the prophet, he must be the Messiah. Let's make him king. He'll kick Rome out. And they're going to, by force, make him king. Now, already you know that they have the wrong idea. You don't force God to do something. You don't force God to be what God is already. Even the devil comes and says, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And you can almost imagine Jesus' sarcasm on the inside of his head, like, right, I already get the, the kingdoms of this world. You don't need to give me anything. They're already mine. The, the idea that Jesus then leaves because they don't understand that's pretty, that's pretty important. You, um, 
What was it that hardened their hearts? See, that's my, that's my question to myself. That's at key verse 52. The disciples did not know it was him because they hadn't learned the lesson. The lesson was that Jesus could do anything. That was the lesson. If you need to do something and God is calling you to do something, it is possible because Jesus can do anything. That's the lesson that he had for these men, but they weren't ready. This says, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They didn't know what it meant. They couldn't understand it. They knew it was a miracle, and they knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew things, but they were not ready then to simply trust God for what God wanted them to do. They weren't ready yet. Their hearts were hardened, which meant that Jesus needed to keep teaching them. And he teaches them simply by walking out to the lake on, their, on, the, on the water. He's walking on the water that he made. Now, that's impossible. Water doesn't bear people's weight. It doesn't work that way. But yet, Jesus is the maker of that water. And that was something that only God could do, and he simply walked on the surface of the lake out to the boat. And that was one more lesson. So you're going to see that the, 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 the crowds had one lesson. They saw the lesson to the disciples, which means they, they weren't ready. They weren't prepped like a lesson is. You have to prep a lesson. You can't just throw something at someone. You have to get them ready to understand something. Then you present it in a way that they can understand. Then you make sure it's theirs. That's how you teach anything. Well, Jesus showed them something. Everybody else got to see it. So they, of course, jumped to the wrong conclusion. But we see here that so did the disciples. They should have been ready, but they weren't ready. They, their heart was hardened. So the second part of that lesson is he comes walking out of the lake to them, and they immediately are freaking out. There's a ghost. Look at him. Nobody walks on the water. And so what happens is that, that command of divine authority didn't quite penetrate into their understanding that Jesus could do anything. That it's not that he could just do more than other people or better than other people, but he could do anything at all. He is God. And that really takes a, it's a very long way from your head to your heart, a very long way from your heart to your will. And the disciples needed it because Jesus was going to depart from them in two years. And this was one year they should know something by now. So, the, so this miracle goes on again. So we're going to see, I have to jump you to Matthew to show you the last part of this lesson that John does not mention. This is Matthew 14, and we'll start reading from 25 to 33. So this is the third part of this lesson. I have absolutely taught a lesson three times. I have absolutely many times taught a lesson three times to where they didn't get it the first time. They're still staring at me. I teach it again. They don't get it the second time. I have to teach it again. It's very necessary in all of the way God deals with us that he reteaches us the same lesson. This is part three. And by the way, the crowds do not see part three. The crowds didn't see part two. The crowds didn't see Jesus walking in the water. And the crowds did not see what's about to happen. This is verse 25, Matthew 14. And in the fourth watch of the night, again, three o'clock in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I. Be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, thou, if, if it be thou, 
bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now look at 32. And when they were come up into the ship, the wind ceased. And when they were in the ship, uh, when they were in the ship, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Do you see where the disciples are now that the crowds were not? They knew, when they said, you are the Son of God, it means you are God. That's what, they, that's what they're saying. You are God. Suddenly now, to know that Jesus is God truly does change everything. Jesus is not just a teacher who is really, really smart. He's not just a very kind person who's very, very nice. He is God, and by, by now recognizing that he is God, suddenly now what you expect of him can change. And by expecting more from Jesus, you're actually honoring Jesus. When you go to Jesus in prayer, he's a king. He's a king. You don't ask for crumbs. You ask for great things because he's king. He, you're honoring him by knowing who he is. And these men loved him. They loved him. They weren't his enemies. They worked for him. They worked all day from day and night until they, were, they couldn't even eat. They loved him. They understood that he, that he was wonderful. They, they knew he was the Messiah, whatever that meant. But they didn't recognize that the Messiah is their God. It's their maker. Suddenly now, Jesus is not just capable. He's in infinite in his abilities, and he's infinite in his person. To know Jesus as God is not to know Jesus as wonderful. He, it's beyond anything that these people were ready to do. I wrote down Matthew 8. This is the last time they were on that lake. The last time they were on that lake together, this is verse 26. And he saith to them, Why are you fearful, you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the, and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Can you see it? That's important. That's very important. These men marveled at him. And their question to each other was, what kind of man is this? He speaks and the sea calms down and the sea obeys him. The winds obey him. Who is this that we're looking at? The second time that they're on that lake, Jesus walks out to them and Peter, the bumblehead, Peter who's just like us, said something wonderful. He said, if it's you, call me, order me to come out to you. Now, you, you can say all kinds of things about Peter. That's, that's amazing. Because faith is not, what are you going to do so that I can see? All right? How many people have come to Jesus? Show us signs that we might believe. Peter said, if it's you, command that I do something. The only risker was, was Peter. Peter's faith was in Jesus, really, because he was showing even to himself that he was the one that was at risk. If you let me down, I'll really be down. You, faith really is a way to where if you, do, you, you risk so much 
that you're going to look like a fool. You will look like a fool if God doesn't save you. If he doesn't bail you out, it's going to be a catastrophe. And Peter, that's, that's amazing. You, can't, you, can, you can never take that away from him. He said, if it's you, command that I come out to you. Now, those men knew Peter, and they knew he wasn't a sinless son of God. And Peter was walking on the sea. Then they both walked into the, into the ship. Now, Matthew is the only one that mentions that. You saw that in Mark, and Mark just said, when he entered the ship, the, ship, the, the wind ceased. They actually both walked into the ship, and immediately no one looks at Peter. Peter just walked on the water, and nobody even uh, puts him, his hand on, over his back. They all look at Jesus and said, of a certain, thou art the Son of God. Something changed in them. They learned the lesson. They will never, they'll never not know that God, Jesus is God. And when Jesus is on the cross, they still know that he's God. They will know. They will return. Because he said, you will return. When you return, then strengthen each other. You will, because this can't be unlearned. Once you learn this lesson, it is there already. Have you ever looked at a piece of paper and knew that there was a time when you didn't know how to read? Like you just look at it and go in, instantly without even any, within a, no energy at all, just stuff just pops into your head. And there was a day I remember being three or four, and I just looked at a book and went, wow, I wonder what it says. Because it didn't make any sense to me. It was just shapes. They were just bumps and shapes and blacks and whites, and I didn't know what it meant. Or if you've ever looked at a book in another language and you're just like, wow, what in the world does it say? And that's the same thing. They'll never unlearn this. They'll never stop knowing. When you know Jesus is God, you'll never not know that. Something happened. There's an Ebenezer for you. An Ebenezer is a pile of rocks that you put behind you so that as you go down that road, you'll always be able to look back and see a pile of rocks in your past. It, you can't ever take it away. You, we've experienced God. The believers in this room have experienced God. You know him. You know what he did. Take my life. It does not matter. I know what he did. So you'll take it. You'll hold it. And when you're confused, you'll remember it. And when you're weird and when things have happened to you and when you're losing your mind, you'll look back and know that God met you there. It's impossible to give it away. And that's what happened here. They finally learned it. They passed the test. They had to take it three times. Have you ever taken a test more than once? They had to take it three times before. How many people have taken their driver's test more than once? Me. So the whole idea, the whole idea that they had to keep going, and Jesus was just like, okay, I'm still your teacher. I'm still your teacher. I'm still your teacher. Now, that's pretty good that they finally passed. Now let's see what's going on today. The following day, this is verse 22, we're in John 6. The following day when the people stood on the other side of the sea, they saw that, that there were none boats there save the one the disciples were entered and that Jesus uh, went not with his disciples into the boat, but the disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh into the place where they did eat bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Seeking for Jesus. Now, get it, get it clear in your head. They all camped out that night. 
There was scads of people. Now some probably went home. But there were a lot of people still there. And they woke up. And they were hungry. Where's breakfast? Now this is actually the truth. That sounds funny. It sounds like I'm snarky. That's exactly what they're doing here. They woke up. And they came back to the place where they had been fed the day before. Where's Jesus? Now, this is, really, this is really kind of indicting. These people wanted breakfast. That's exactly what they wanted. And they looked. But then they remembered that there was only one boat. And Jesus put the disciples in the boat, told them to go to Capernaum. And then Jesus sent them all away. And then they don't know where he went. So all these boats were there. They were all looking for him. All these crowds were looking for him. So they all got in these boats and they sailed to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, that's pretty good. You're looking for Jesus. You're seeking Jesus. You think that that should be good. Okay? And the people, uh, the people all crowded. And so we're talking about a crowd. Now, I don't know if there was 20,000 people, but there was a crowd of people. And they all came looking for Jesus. That's pretty good. You wonder... Is that what Jesus wants? Does he want a bunch of people seeking him? That's pretty good. So if I were to read down to the end of this chapter, 15,000, 20,000 people, I don't know how many people were here. He has 12 disciples at the end of this chapter. He doesn't have 5,000 disciples. He does not have 20,000 disciples. He has 12 disciples. And we'll see that the last verse, one of you is a devil. That means of his 12, one is not actually a disciple. At the end of this chapter, he's only got the ones he started with. All of these people who are seeking Jesus um, will go away disappointed. Now, why? Why? If you're seeking Jesus, these are people who think he's the Messiah. And he is coming as the Messiah of the Jews. And they go away because he doesn't give them what what they ask for. I think that's really, really amazing. See, they missed the second lesson. They missed him on the water. They don't know that he's God. They missed this third one where Peter gets off, off the boat and walks across the lake. They missed that. And it wasn't Peter that they even congratulated. They all looked and said, you are God. They missed it. So I just need to, to remind you that nobody seeks God. Not really. Nobody seeks God. This is Psalm 14. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand to seek God. They were all gone aside. They were all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Paul takes this and goes with it. This is Romans 3. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. That's a quote from the first passage. 1 Corinthians 2. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can they know him because they're spiritually discerned. See, you can tell that the Holy Spirit is doing something when it leads you to Jesus. And then at that Jesus, what happens at the end is you follow hard after him. There is your test. If after your seeking of Jesus, you follow him, and you follow hard after him. And you'll follow him through the dark and through the bad and through the muck and through the, through the dangerous. If you follow him, then you're seeking him. If you seek him in any other way, he will not be sought by you. And that is a, it's, it seems sad, but 
I'm not sad about that. Jesus refuses to be sought by anybody except those who are seeking him for what he is giving them. He's saying, I will be your savior. You are in danger, I will be your savior. If you come to me appealing as a mendicant, as a beggar, as someone just dropping everything at my feet and saying, I need to be saved, then he'll accept you. Then everything that God is will go, come to you. Because you are now adopted. Everything that a child of king would have, you will have. But if you come asking for the things that a child of a king gets, he'll refuse you. He does not want seekers like that. Okay? So I immediately just ask myself, do I seek God in a way that makes me want to follow him? There's your question. There's the question that I, that I wrote to myself. Do I seek God in a way that will inevitably result in me finding him? Or do I seek him for some other reason? Do I pray so that I pray for stuff so that I can fulfill my evil lust? That's what James 4 said. Do I pray amiss? That was what it was, this idea. Do I seek God so that I can have those things that God would give me? Do I seek his blessings? Do I want him to give me things? Do I want him to bless me? Is that why I'm seeking him? I have to tell you, if that's why you're seeking him, you'll not receive any of those things. And you will not receive Jesus. When you go to heaven, you go to heaven where Jesus is. You go to Jesus. That's what heaven is. Heaven is not a place. It is a place because it's where Jesus is. You go because you desire him. You don't go because you think that the streets are made out of gold. That's not enough to attract anybody. And you do not go to heaven by not wanting to go to hell. You must tell yourself that. God will not give you heaven just because you don't want hell. You seek Jesus. If you seek Jesus, you will have Jesus and you will have heaven. If you seek Jesus, you will not have hell. But you do not seek someone to get you out of hell. He will refuse you. And that is from this pulpit, I'm saying it out loud. He will refuse you if you come to him to get out of hell. You must. Now, that's interesting. It was hell that compelled me to go to him. But when I went to him, I went to him in the office that he presented himself to. And that's as savior. You're going to him as savior. Now, interesting that God is big enough to let me come to him as savior and then tell me that he's everything. I later realized how wonderful he was. I came to him because I knew that I needed. I needed rescue. I knew I was damned. I knew it. Knew it. I was convinced, perfectly convinced. And I read, I needed his savior. And he offered himself to me. Come to me, you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You come to him as savior, and then you learn from him you go into his school and he teaches you and he reteaches you and he reteaches you and there will be a day you're like you're god then you know who first of all you know what kind of glory you should pay him what he's worth and what he if he asks you to do something psh, it's nothing he asks you to walk a road walk it if he will ask you to walk a hard road walk it he is with you he will never leave you when you want jesus You'll get Jesus. If you want anything except Jesus, he will refuse you. He will refuse you. So look what happens. This is verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, so they're in Capernaum now, they said unto Rabbi, when did you come here? 
They're like, we never saw you get in the boat. Where did you, when did you get here? Why did, how, how did that happen? Because they missed the, the walking on the water thing. They never saw that because that wasn't for them. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Interesting. They first followed him since he was someone who could do stuff for them. That's, that's why, remember that from the very beginning of Mark when, when we looked at this as we were coming into chapter 6 of John and I pulled Mark out and I said, these men saw the miracles and followed Jesus so that he would perform miracles. They came to him initially so that they could, he would do stuff for them. And they kept following him since he was something that, so because he would give something to them. They followed him to start with because they thought he would do something for them. And then they kept following him because they thought he would give something to them. Now, that's been me a hundred million times. I think it's probably been you too. You go to God because you want God to give you something or do something for you. You go to God because he's worthy of every moment of your life. He's, he has value. He has infinite value in himself. He is amazing. And you go to him for that reason and all things will become you. You seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He said, you didn't come to me for any other reason. You came across the sea. You came across the sea to find me so that I would give you breakfast. Why didn't you stop at McDonald's? There's a McDonald's right at the port. You could have got there at the airport. You didn't have to come all the way to me so that I would give you something. You want to come to me? That's really good. I want people to come to me. But I do not want people to come to me so that they can still be in the darkness at the end. You come to me, and if you want to follow me, then you know that you've sought me for the right reason. If you follow hard after Jesus, after coming to him, then you've sought him for the right reason, and he's accepted you. And you talk about peace, that's where the peace comes from. The peace comes from the fact that Jesus has accepted me. There is no peace. Are you going to heaven? There is no peace in your heart of going to heaven because I was good or because I did right things or because I made good choices. There's no peace there. The peace is that Jesus is worthy and Jesus suffered for men and I'm a man. And he invited me. That's rest. There's peace there. There's something that you can hold well, on your hard days. Your hard days, you'll know. When you're on your deathbed, you, that is enough to hold you all the way through. You make this, day, you make this world as hard as it could be, and that will get you through. That will get you through. Now, I saw verily here. That's the only verily that showed somebody's sin. Verily, I'm telling you the truth. You're sinning. That's what he said. First one, verily, I, you'll see the son of uh, heaven open and the son of man ascending, de descending, the angels descending. Uh, John 3, verily, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. John five, uh, 3, 5, verily, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
24. Verily I say, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life, will not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Every one of those were major theology that God needed to actually tell you because it had to come from God. Nobody could figure that out. It had to be come from God. But Jesus spends one of his verilies on telling me how rotten I am and that I came for the wrong reason. Verily, this is 26, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw miracles, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Jesus has to say, truly, truly, Brian, your heart's tricky. Be careful of your heart. Be careful of your emotions. Be careful of the things you desire. You're tricky. It wants to trick you. It wants you to be king. It wants the stuff you want. And you're willing to do whatever it takes. And if it means go to Jesus, your heart is tricky enough to say, I don't want to go to hell. I need to go to Jesus. Now, do you understand how subtle of a point I just made? That's, it's important that I get that through. But I don't know how to say it right. You must go to Jesus the way he invited you to go. You can't go to Jesus and use him to get what you want from him. He will refuse you. He looked at these people and said, Verily, you came because I fed you a fish sandwich. Are you doing this for sardine sandwich? Really? Don't work for the meat that perishes. Work for the meat that endures to eternal life. This is John 4 again. We saw this. Jesus answered her, Whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in his, him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. So the meat that endureth to eternal life is the well of water springing up into eternal life. So he's using pictures. That's all he can do. They're talking about meat, so he uses it. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now there's a key word. If I want righteousness, then I must come to Jesus and Jesus will give me the righteousness and God will accept me because I'm righteous. I cannot be accepted by God when I come in my own righteousness. I must seek Jesus. And by seeking Jesus, I have his righteousness and then God accepts me. It is through Jesus. Jesus will be the only one honored in heaven. Jesus will be it. God loves his son and he will honor his son and in his honoring of his son, he will show kindness to those in, that have faith in his son. That's what salvation means. Salvation is not I made a great deal or I had, I had a great idea or it was the best idea I ever had. Salvation is that Jesus is so awesome that God is willing to save me because my faith is in Jesus. As I honor Jesus, I am rescued with, with Jesus' honor. That's swept up in his honor. That's amazing. So the gifts that I've wanted from God, and I, it's me, it's me, me that did this. I've wanted God's gifts, and I'm willing to come to Jesus so that I get what I want because my heart's tricky. Romans 1, who, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. Have you ever worshipped the things God gave you instead of the things, the giver of those things? Well, that's called being human. I bet you every... When in this room has done that because we're, that's what fallen people do. We want what we want and any means to that end, if it's Jesus, that's fine. I'll give my heart to Jesus if he'll give me everything. No, because that's not honoring him. 
That's honoring yourself. You are the king of your life, and Jesus is your best person that's helping you. He's not your therapist. He's not your genie. He is God. You are the Son of God Almighty. Ephesians 5. For this you know that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who's an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Your covetousness, what you want, what you think God's going to give you, his blessings. If you're seeking his blessings and not seeking God, you are the same as a whoremonger, an unclean person, a covetous man, an idolater. Because that and you will not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And these are people who sought Jesus. You have to realize most of the people will not seek Jesus. These are the people who went across the ocean to see Jesus. But they never stayed with him. At the end of this chapter, they will be gone. All of them will be gone. Because he didn't give them what they wanted. And what they wanted was to still be king and have God to give you everything. And that's not what Jesus is. So the Bible takes, teaches us that God will take care of those who trust the giver and not just trust the gift. This is Philippians 4. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be named known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Do you see it? I'm thankful, God. You did it. I'm thankful for what you did. I'm coming to you with supplication. Supplication means I have no power. You have all power. I'm bringing you what you've put in my heart to bring you. You've put this problem in my life so that I will bring it to you, so that I will know that of a certain you are the Son of God. And then I give it to you in faith because you said you'll care for me. And he said, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So if you are trusting the Jesus that you love, if you want him, if you want to see him, that's what we saw, right? We read, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy on me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, Lord, I will seek. It's his idea. He wants, he's drawing you. And as he, he wants to be everything to you, and when he's everything to you, all things are yours. That is, a, that is a wonderful, we must trust God. So first I wrote one, two, and three, okay? Preachers do that, I've heard. You'd have to do the one, two, and three. So here's the one. We must seek him where he alone can be found. That's in Jesus Christ. You seek God in Jesus Christ. None else. If you want God, if you seek him, if he said, seek my face, and you, my heart said, your face, O oh Lord, I will seek, you seek him in Jesus Christ. You seek him in the scriptures where Jesus Christ is just given to us. The truth about who he is is given perfectly. It will withstand all of this world. That's where you seek. You look there. You look at Jesus. Second, I wrote, we must seek him more the Lord than his gifts. And I wrote, this is a lovely uh, kind of haunting verse. This is Habakkuk chapter three. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now, you wonder why you see the wicked in high places shining and no problems and the godly are troubled and oppressed. It's because God takes the herds out of your stalls. He does it on purpose. There will be times when you are like, I've got nothing but Jesus. Praise God, all I've got is Jesus. Praise the God, all I have is Jesus. Take it all. I only have Jesus while I have everything. To have Jesus is to have everything. Now, he will not take the herds out of your stalls if your heart's towards him all the time. But when you start falling, when you see the boisterous waves and you're like, oh, you'll go right in the water like everybody else would go in the water. And then the Christian says, Lord, help me. And there comes the hand to help you. It's not that he's mean to his children. It's that he wants us to want him correctly. And if you want to seek God, you seek him. You don't seek the things that he brings. He's not your benefactor, although he is. The third one I wrote, you must seek him wholeheartedly. The crowds left Jesus by the end of this chapter, is what I wrote down. After the feeding, the people wanted to make Jesus their king. But Jesus left them because he refused to offer what they wanted. Then they went and sought him. Then Jesus preached the gospel to them. Then they left Jesus because they didn't want what he offered. Jesus preaches the gospel. So if you are, are one of the millions of Americans who come to church because God will give you everything, that you're going to get a new Lexus and a new Rolex and you're going to be healthy and you're going to live to 100 and you're going to have money, 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 money. Well, what a pitiful, pitiful life you're going to lead because you don't have Jesus. You don't have Jesus. You might have a hundred million people go to church with you, but you go to Jesus by seeking him. And when he is everything to you, don't worry about all things. All things will be if he clothes the grass of the field. Will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's where I'm going to end. This is Psalm 63. There's the heart I want for myself. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because your love is better than life, my lips shall praise you. And that's what I want as we stand as a church and praising our God together for the God that he is. Let's, let's sing.